to be perfectly honest, Trisha, the one thing that I wish I would have done differently is that I did a lot of moving, quote unquote, moving and shaking at one time. You know, I literally, you know, purchased a couple things all at the same time, which I, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done because it just takes a lot out of you and it puts a lot of stress on you. The other thing I would make sure that you focus on as far as building and having your own space is start small with any type of changes that you're doing. I went gun ho and just did a huge build out and elaborate this and elaborate that, which I should have just, you know, painted the walls one year, did the floor the next year, did some countertops, you know, that third year until you get to the point where it's not affecting your cash flow because now you have to make sure you're taking care of every single one of your liabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just helps alleviate stress and you know, just working hard and praying about it is really literally the only way I made it through and having a great team. But I would definitely say buy the building, 100% get your space and then start small with your projects for renovations or, or upgrading or making the office more aesthetically pleasing instead of doing it all at once. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today, I interviewed Jonathan Johnson, a private practice physician based out of Washington, D.C., He is a wound care doctor, and he owns and operates two private practices, Comprehensive Wound Care Services and Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center. We walk through his journey from medical school to private practice and why he owns the property where he operates his practices out of in the Foggy Bottom area of Washington, D.C. He shares with us the changes he has made to his practice to adapt to his patients' needs, a strategy to grow in the future based on where healthcare is heading, and we discuss the value he places on educating others on wound care to achieve the best outcome. So a warm welcome to Dr. Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. Jonathan, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me about your two private practices, comprehensive wound care services mm-hmm. that you called, I think, Dr. Wound and, um, and Capital Aesthetic Laser Center. And you're all based in Washington, D.C., right? Yes, 100%. So Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center, we are a aesthetic-based clinic. I am in the aesthetics and wound care uh, specialty practice. So we have an in-office aesthetics practice where we do non-invasive aesthetic procedures, and we also have an in-office wound care practice. We have a telemedicine-based wound care practice, which is under the moniker Dr. Wounds. And then we also have a mobile wound care service where we round in different nursing homes and take care of patients that have issues with wounds at those facilities. So it's a little, uh, little extensive, but you know, we like challenges. So why did you choose the location you did for your practice, the physical location you have for your clinic? 
you know, typically wound care clinicians focus on taking care of patients uh, in either wound care clinics or they take care of patients in nursing homes, long-term care, et cetera. We had a really large following of patients that were being discharged and wanted an office-based resource where they could come and continue their care and we could have a great continuity of care. So we picked the foggy bottom area of Washington, D.C., Uh, It's a great area. We are literally right across the street from the George Washington College campus. So that is a great resource for our aesthetics and some of our facials and some of our non-invasive procedures. Uh, And we're also five blocks away from GW Hospital. So some of our patients, once they're discharged, they can come see us as well. We strategically located our office in a medical-based building. So the majority of the tenants that are in this building are medical-based, so it's a great referral source for us and for others that are specialists in the field. Very nice. That's common. I think when you're you're locating a medical practice, you don't want to have to have your patients go through law firms or title companies. And oh yeah, definitely. You know. <laughs> of course, hundred percent. They, they don't want to. We don't want. We want to stay as far away from law firms as possible. That's a bad word in healthcare law firms. <laughs> you don't want to talk about malpractice insurance. <laughs> no, no, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Uh, I'm currently practicing in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and New York. So malpractice insurance is ridiculous, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That is crazy. Tell me about that. So how do you practice in all of those states? Well, I'm licensed in 11 different states. And the majority of the reason that I'm licensed in 11 different states is because our wound care practice continues to expand. And we want to make sure that we have a footprint in states that need our help. And in order, obviously, to do business in those states, you need a medical license. Uh, So that's number one. Number two, with the COVID outbreak, we're able to service patients from a telemedicine-based standpoint. And in order to service those patients uh, in the future, I feel that you're going to need a medical license in that specific state, regardless if you're physically there or if you have a physical location in that specific state. Currently now, CMS allows you to see patients cross state lines, Uh, but I think when everything gets back to normal, those regulations will tighten just a little bit, but still allow us to practice cross state lines from a telemedicine standpoint, as long as you have a license. I think that's a great vision. It's great because it allows you to grow and expand and scale, and it also helps you to be able to see as many people as you can and provide the best care. Absolutely. It's interesting. My my last interview um, was with a woman who she does a lot on thought leadership, and she was discussing mm-hmm. how practices adapting to the new healthcare economy, where consumerism by patients is increasing, you know, based on you know more healthcare costs being transferred to them. So, you know, I see that you do a lot with educational videos um, yes. and outreach and everything for helping your patients have a resource, I think, either Mm -hmm. to learn about you before they become a patient or after they become a patient. And you also provide that education, you know, to other clinicians and I think for your facilities that you partner with. So so what made you think of putting that out there in order to, to help expand your business? So education is key. And I think that education is something from a healthcare standpoint that needs to continually be passed down or spread, you know, everyone needs to have correct education and the most recent education because you want to make sure that the patients have the best care they can. The whole educating and wanting to educate comes from my mom, 
who was a educator. Uh, she's a Fulbright scholar and was a Spanish per- professor for a while. My grandfather was a teacher and a lot of the, my family members are from teachers on my father and my mother's side. So it's kind of an intrinsic quality. But to be perfectly honest, Tricia, the most important thing with education is your confidence in what you know. Because if you can teach someone in two minutes exactly what the concept that you're trying to convey to that specific person or patient, then you really know it. So education is kind of a way to say, we understand what we need to do, and I understand this concept, and now I want to impart it on you. And the more education you do, the better it is, because you want to share the wealth of knowledge. It's key. Well, in particular, with uh, your courses for clinicians, you know, I think specifically that work in, in these facilities that you partner with, like how important is it, you know, if they're the, the first one to treat a wound to get it to a certain condition that helps you be able to help the patient better once they get to you? It's very important, specifically in the wound care subspecialty. Uh, chronic wounds can last for an extended period of time. So you want to make sure you're providing the best management as quickly as you can. So having that communication with other providers or other primary care physicians, other plastic surgeons, other dermatologists is really key because continuity is, is the most important thing to make sure the patient is healing. So from one aspect, teaching the providers that work with our group is very important because obviously we want them to scale and do well and make sure patients heal. But you know, just from a colleague to colleague standpoint, it's also important because you know if the field wants to continue to stay viable and wants to continue to be a great specialty that other providers will continue to want to be a part of and for you to pass that down to other providers that are younger and are coming through the pipeline, you have to make sure your education stays fluid. Absolutely. And, you know, your wound care clinic and then you have, you know, your aesthetic clinic, they seem to be two different. Obviously, they treat two different target patients or maybe they, mm-hmm. they do blend over. But, you know, you were a trained bit. as a general surgeon and hand and plastic surgery, and double board certified in wound management and aesthetic medicine. And then their spare mm-hmm. time, you got an MBA. So <laughs> how did, probably because of all the educational support and that you have in, in your background. but. Um, you know, how did you decide to go into wound care and then how did that move over into aesthetic? So I really became interested in the field of wound care as a fellow in New York. And as the plastic and hand fellow, you're literally taking care of every patient seven days a week with maybe about a 24 hour break. So the plastic surgery fellow was in charge of all the wounds that came into the hospital. You know, I kind of cut my teeth learning about extensive wounds and pediatric, which is children-based wounds and wounds that are going to heal tomorrow and wounds that are going to heal in four years. And when I ended up moving back to Maryland, uh, I ended up working with another wound care group and really liked the interaction between the geriatric population, the nursing home population, long-term care, and how you know, how excellent it was to see that those wounds would heal and having those conversations with the patients. And I just fell in love with it and love it to this day. And then how did you move into the laser and cosmetic? (laughs) So great question. So the aesthetics was a crazy story because I'm also, you know, I'm also a DC commissioning, boxing and wrestling physician ringside official. 
And one of my colleagues was the chair of emergency medicine at one of the hospitals in the area. He knew a aesthetic practice that needed a medical director. And so I ended up working with this specific practice for a little while for about a good three or four years. So I learned about aesthetics and my background is hand in plastics. So I also, you know, understood a little bit about aesthetics as a fellow and I really liked the business side of it. And so I was able to kind of put all of that into one package here in our office with comprehensive wound care services and capital aesthetic and laser center. So is there a story, obviously uh, keeping the names anonymous, but you know, of a, of a patient <laughs> that you felt that you helped, you know, they came in kind of traumatized and you were mm-hmm. able to help them a lot with what you do? hundred percent, hundred percent. Great question. So I remember there was a pediatric patient and this pediatric patient had a burn to his face. And if you understand the pathophysiology of burns, you get a lot of swelling, you get a lot of edema. So you need to treat those burns urgently. And for some reason, this was about 10 years ago or so, for some reason, there was a delay in bringing this young child in. And, you know, through the course of treating him and removing some of the bad tissue and making sure that we found viable tissue in order to graft, uh, you could really see the change in his appearance and it really changed his self-confidence. And that's one thing I do like about wound care is that if you're vigilant, you work hard and you apply the right standard of care and that wound heals, it literally changes the life of that specific patient completely, specifically when it's something superficial and it's something noticeable, you know, on your face, your, you know, your lower extremities, your upper arms, even your chest, your back, et cetera. Everyone wants to, you know, you know, have that confidence that they feel good about themselves And that also translates into the aesthetic aspect of our practice as well. And do you commonly, like if you'll treat a wound and then, you know, if they want a little bit more, you know, something fixed, do they, do you just Uh are able to transfer them back and over? Oh yeah. I mean, so (laughs) when you're, when you're done treating the major wound, you know, and get it to a point where then it can have the extra aesthetics um, done to it. Correct. Well, so the great thing about putting both of the practices in one location is that a lot of times when the patient's wound is healed, they have a scar. And so from an aesthetic standpoint, obviously the scar is not uh, appealing. So we have then the laser resources on the aesthetic side of the practice, which is right next door. You know, you just walk right across the, the, the hall to the office. We have those resources in order, in order to decrease the pigmentation of the scar and decrease the uh, the breadth of the scar, so it's not as thick or it's not as raised. And so we feel that that's really a comparable specialty, uh, that when you heal the wound, you can also take care of that scar that may not be aesthetically pleasing. So that's kind of how we put both of them together. You know, there was something that was interesting when you were describing your practice. It says you combine medicine and smart technology. So can you tell me a little bit about that? So the smart technology aspect is that we try to stay as paperless as possible. And I was blessed to have two great parents. Uh, My father was a dentist. Uh, He sold his practice about four years ago. And my mom was running the practice. She was the business head. She basically made sure everything ran extremely smoothly. So as a kid, I was used to, you know, sweeping up and helping with shoveling snow. We lived, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, go Broncos (laughs) and Nuggets. (laughs) <laughs> and Rockies and Avalanche. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, just assisting him in some of those dental procedures. 
so I saw the the aspect of being able to have a practice, grow a practice, provide great care in a practice. So I really credit them with uh, you know being able to show me that example and a great foundation. And so kind of through that, I was able to you know formulate the plan. So I say all that because one thing they did have everywhere were paper charts. And I remember as a kid, <laughs> like going through <laughs> seeing this huge wall of just paper charts and they're pulling out the chart and the paper's here and paper's there. And that's how it was done. You know, I mean, yeah. heck, they practiced for almost 46 years. So to answer your question specifically is we try to make sure everything is streamlined. We use a lot of smart technology and the Dr. Wounds aspect of our practice focuses on telemedicine to, you know, the weekend warriors, to the patient that's at an event and, and can't really connect with anyone to help them with their wound. So um, we use technology to make sure that we focus on treating the patient effectively. We use aesthetic record on the aesthetic side to make sure we alleviate that paper confusion as much as possible. I'm waiting to not have to fill out the eight pages of prelim paperwork before I go into an office. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, see the, and that's one thing we try to decrease as well. We like to make sure that there's an interactive electronic medical record, electronic, electronic health record that our potential patients can review, see, fill out before they even get here, specifically now because of COVID. And that helps us to streamline exactly what we need to do. So moving back to the business side a little bit more. um, So Mm -hmm. when did you decide to go into your own private practice? So our mobile practice, you know, I started that in 2015 after working with another group for a little while. And I kind of understood the business side. So I was able to kind of branch off. Uh, and we got to the point where we needed a office-based location to see our patients that were discharged from the nursing homes and some of the acute long-term uh, acute care facilities. So what we did basically is we were able to put the wound care practice and the aesthetics in the same office because at the time I was also the medical director of the same aesthetic clinic. Mm-hmm. So I figured we'd move everything in-house. It's a great move. It's also a very daunting move because the office-based healthcare is starting to transition away from going to the physician's office and 10 people sitting in the waiting room and, you know, interacting with the doc and sitting there for an extended period of time. And a lot of that was actually happening Mm pre-COVID. But now that it's post-COVID, it's even more evident that a lot of what we're doing will be virtual consultations chatting via telemedicine. And if you ultimately really need to come in, then you will have the resources in order to do that. And I think that's where venture capitalists is going. That's where private equity is going. That's where a lot of these large hospital systems are going, um, is consolidating those resources. So they're more streamlined from a virtual standpoint to alleviate unnecessary, you know, waiting and and sitting around and, and, and paperwork. So, right. Well, and I think it might also help create a little bit of streamlined time management for clinicians as well, because, yes. you know, unless you need to physically examine a person, you could have a pre-operation talk or post-operation talk with like, I mean, even you could get your nurses in there um, yes. or, or medical assistants to have, you know, all the logistic information and then the post-op stuff, you know, unless you need to physically examine somebody, like some of that information can easily be done you know, virtually. 100%. A lot of that stuff can easily be done via electronic. I mean, if there's virtual ways to reach out to those specific patients, even from a marketing standpoint, that's the better way. And as you can see, everyone has a telehealth platform now. 
you know, everyone is streamlining to looking at how they can reach patients virtually. Teladoc is huge, obviously. I mean, Oscar just went public, I want to say yesterday or Tuesday, uh, which is, you know, going to be an independent based insurance-based resource. So, you know, as as we both know, the the landscape of healthcare is changing extensively. Absolutely. So you um, additionally became a uh, an entrepreneur investing in your own real estate. So how important was it mm-hmm. for you to own the building and the space that you're in? Very, very important. It was important because I knew that, you know, my plan long-term was continue to provide great care and having two different locations in one in one space. Again, I have to credit my parents for, you know, their vision and their foundation, which I was able to see, although I didn't go into the same field and a lot of what they do from a dental standpoint is 100% different from what we do. You know, I think the number one thing my dad would always tell me is, you know, son, I mean, you know, when I sold my practice, you know, the value obviously was in the practice, but the extra quote unquote equity was in, it was in the building because that's going to scale and that's going to go up in value, increase in value at a higher percentage than your practice will. You know, it doesn't matter how you're working or how hard you're working the majority of the time, your, uh, you know, your building's going to go up in value. And, you know, just being in a prime location and, and having a great patient base in the area we are, are the two or three major things that made us purchase the location. When you were looking to purchase this, did, did you have any idea who you were going to have handle, like all the property management things to do with the property? From a from a property management standpoint, I'm used to owning property, so so I have a team that helps us with the property management side. And I knew that I was going to be at the office, and I kind of had the experience, a little bit of the business background to know how to do some of the property management aspects. So it was kind of a no brainer, to be perfectly honest. I kind of mm-hmm. knew that I wanted to own the location that I'm currently working in. Cause at the end of the day, it's also something, you know, that you can pass down to, you know, the kids who, who may want to go into healthcare, don't do it. <laughs> who may want to go into healthcare, don't do it. You know, so you never know. You a hundred percent never know. So. Well, any lessons learned that uh, you wish you would have known before purchasing your property that, you know, you could share to any of your physician colleagues contemplating it? To be perfectly honest, Trisha, the one thing that I wish I would have done differently is that I did a lot of moving, quote unquote, moving and shaking at one time. You know, I literally, you know, purchased a couple things all at the same time, which I, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done uh, because it just takes a lot out of you and it puts a lot of stress on you. The other thing I would, I would make sure that you focus on as far as building and having your own space is start small with any type of changes that you're doing. I went gun ho and just did a huge build out and elaborate this and elaborate that, which, you know, I, I should have just, you know, painted the walls one year, did the floor the next year, did some countertops that third year until you get to the point where it's not affecting your cash flow because now you have to make sure you're taking care of every single one of your liabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just alle- it helps alleviate stress. And, you know, just you know, working hard and praying about it is really <laughs> literally the only way I made it through and having a great team. But I would definitely say buy the building, 100% get your space, and then start small with your projects for 
um, renovations or, or upgrading or making the office more aesthetically pleasing instead of doing it all at once. Like living in the house that you're remodeling. <laughs> Correct. Correct. 100%. Yes. 100%. Tell me about a, a patient that should come see you outside of the, the facilities, but just a patient that should come see you to get treated. So we focus on, well, there's three different tiers to the business. So from a telemedicine standpoint, Typically, we're seeing the weekend warrior, the guy or the gal that's a bike rider or, or you know, they, they surf or whatever. They fall, they scrape their knee. Doc, do I need stitches? Contact us. We'll help you make sure you don't waste time or money and a copay going to the ER or going to urgent care where I can li- literally say to you, hey, put, you know, this on it. We can send it to you directly from our website. That's one type of patient from a telemedicine standpoint. The second type of patient are in office-based wound care patients are the patients where the wounds aren't healing. You've left a nursing home or you've left long-term care, or maybe you're a home health patient and you haven't seen progress with the wound. Come in and see us. We'll take a look at that wound and figure out the best resource for you. And then from the aesthetic side, we work with a select group of patients that focus on how important their skin is. We focus on skin care. We focus on moisturizing, taking care of your skin, wearing sunscreen, et cetera. Also focusing on anti-aging, right? We want to focus on our neuromodulators, which is, you know, your, your Botox, your Dysport, your Zeomin, et cetera, as well as your dermal fillers. And then your laser hair removal, which is very, very important. And then we will be rolling out our uh, smart lipo coming in the next six months or so. And that's a project that we're working on with a couple groups, which I, I won't divulge right now because we're <laughs> we're still in, in, in some talks. But uh, I think that's another great resource to help our clients feel better about themselves and to help remove some of those hard to remove uh, fat areas after diet and exercise really has not seen a decrease in um, in those areas. So we're really excited about that new chapter that we're going to have coming probably in the next six months or so. So oh, those are typically exciting. our four, three to four type of patients that we see. Very nice. Yes. Before we move into the Q and A, I do want to comment that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I love that uh, you also are very socially conscious. I mean, yes. in, in um, social issues and disparities in healthcare for minorities and the elderly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think advocating for those folks is important. And I think you're, mm-hmm. you're, what you're doing is impactful. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, definitely. So now we'll go into the Q&A to get to know you a little bit. Okay, great. Outside of your outside of being a physician, but uh, what was your first job? So at the age of 14, Trisha, I had a lawn mowing business. Very nice. And I think that kind of sparked my entrepreneurial bug. And so in my neighborhood, I at one time I had about 14 lawns and I was charging about 20 bucks per lawn and I was doing pretty well. And the reason I ended up going into the surgical route is one of my neighbors was an orthopedic surgeon. I happened to meet him one day and he took me into his office as he's writing the check. I'm seeing bones and skeletons and everything else in his office. I asked him what he did. And he said, why don't you shadow me? So for the rest of the summer, which was probably about a month left in, in the summer, I was 14 and I was in the operating room, just, you know, just watching him and observing him. And from there, I kind of knew this is what, what I really wanted to do. And I was an athlete. Uh, I played, um, you know, football, baseball, basketball, and track. 
competitively in, in high school and a little bit after high school. And so I always wanted to match the sports medicine with the orthopedic side and ended up getting into the field and figured out it wasn't the path for me. So I ended up transitioning into surgery and then into the plastics and into wound care. So that was my very first job as lawn mowing. I was an Inroads intern, and Inroads is a great organization. It's a national-based organization that helps talented minorities connect with Fortune 500 companies in a specific field. So engineering, in you know, e-commerce, in, in biotech, uh, you have a chance to work with a large organization. So as a as my last year of high school, I was actually working with Coors Brewing Company. And I was working in the food science lab. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of had a recipe of how to make beer, basically. And we were doing DNA research on yeast fermentation to figure out which cells fermented effectively, which would obviously change the taste of different type of products. And I never, I'll never forget, uh, I was leaving work one day. It was like my last day and, you know, I was going to college. And I had a suit on because it was my last day. And I was just saying bye to people. And one of the guys who's a manager, his name was Lub, L-U-B-B. And I, I can't remember his last name. And he pulls me aside. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, you're not interviewing for a job here, are you? I said, no, it's just my last day. And he's like, no, man, you need to go to college. <laughs> go to college. You know, because they knew they knew I wanted to be in healthcare, But at times, inroads didn't have a path for folks that were pre-med. So the, the next best resource was food science, which was still quote unquote biology, which was my major at the time. And I was like, no, love, you know, I, I love you guys, but I don't, I don't want to wear them. I don't want to go into these big, huge kettles every day and, you know, sample yeast and everything. So, so those are the two jobs I can definitely remember. And, you know, I, I worked a little here and I worked a little there, but, um, you know, it was great, like I said, to, to definitely work with my parents. My yeah. sisters and I did the same thing where we were asked, let me just say forced, <laughs> to come to work. Voluntold. You were voluntold. Right. I was I was I was volunteered. Yeah, voluntold. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I like that. But it, like I said, it was a great experience. And I think that, you know, all those specific situations, number one, I'm very blessed to have them. But number two, it's for a purpose. And you don't really realize that until you look back on you know, what type of skill or what type of interaction or whatever at that specific time is supposed to be used in the future to help you excel. And yeah. that's just basically what it was. That's awesome. What could you imagine doing for a living if you weren't a physician? <laughs> you know, if I was not a physician, I wanted to be a general manager of a professional baseball team. Very nice. I was, uh, you know, well, yeah, the, the Rockies, just, you know, anybody, you know, anyone at that time, but wherever you can get, get yeah, a job, just, just, you know, <laughs> yeah, hey, Theo Epstein, you know, hey, let's make it happen. But uh, I was a huge baseball fan. I played baseball all through high school and, you know, it was really my passion. And uh, if I was not in healthcare, that's probably what I would be doing. I would be in some organization on the coaching side, because I don't know if I was that good enough to to be, uh, to be, to be playing, I would have tried, but my parents were like, you don't want to be a 35 year old triple a baseball player. Do you No, you're going to college. So, you know. so what positions did you play? So I was a shortstop and a leadoff hitter and uh, I played a little center field, but the majority of my, you know, the majority of my career was a second baseman. Okay. 
And that's what I did. Yep. Very nice. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? So I'm sure when people answer this question, it sounds like a commercial. So I will try to be as non-commercial <laughs> as I can, Trisha. But I am a huge fan of an app called Blinkist. And what it does is it gives you different segments and different snippets of popular books in different type of categories. Like, for instance, you read about econ one day. The other day, you'll you'll read about mental preparation. Then you'll, you'll read about leadership. And then you'll learn about world art. And with my busy schedule, and I'm going from here, and I'm going from there, and I'm interacting with a lot of different type of people on any given day, when I do have a little bit of that downtime, I like to learn as much as I can and focus on as many topics as I can. I also like the books by Noah Oppenheimer. It's called Intellectual Devotional. I don't know if you've heard about this, but what it is, is it's weekly digestible topics that range from music. It ranges from economics. It ranges from art, leadership, popular people, et cetera. And so I like learning a little bit about those different type of concepts. I'm a huge art fan. I like the surrealist artist. Kandinsky, Gockel. I've been to Salvador Dali's home in Spain. Uh, and I have a couple pictures, um, <laughs> I would say, in the house that, that I had. So, you know, just anything that gives you that snippet right then and there is, is, is very, very important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Healthy self-care. Number one, meditation and prayer is very important. And I think that you know, and I know this is probably what everyone says, but it, it really helps to channel your thoughts for the day and it helps you stay focused on what the most important aspects of your to-do list is for that day. Mm-hmm. So I have a to-do list. And when I think about specific things, I put it on the to-do list and I check them off around nine o'clock at the end of the night, once the little ones are down, um, you know, I check them off and, and okay, did I do this? Did I do that? And I have a long-term checklist and a short-term, and I try to get that short-term checklist done. But, you know, I try to wake up in the morning and I focus on, you know, what's the most important thing I need to do today and make sure I, I'm thankful for the day. And then I just move forward, make it happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yep. do you think a person is born with a desire to heal or is this only learned through their, their medical training? Hmm. Am I back to my uh, medical school essay? You want me to pull out my essay and read that? Why do you want to be a doctor? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the funny thing about it, the funny thing about it, and and for anyone who's a medical student uh, that may be listening to your podcast, I hope that they do. You rarely get that question. Because if you're in that interview, they want you there for some reason. They're just trying to make sure you're not crazy. They're trying to make sure they can go out and, and have a have a beer or whatever, have a drink with you, you know, have dinner with you. You know, you can come to their home and you're not going to act crazy. A lot of times that's literally what it is. Like I said, focusing on, on just being yourself is, is, is 100% important. And I think that the more that you do that, the better. I think that's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I don't think there is an answer to the question, but that is an answer to be yourself. And I think if you a hundred percent, you want to help people. Well, I think to answer your question, the, the foundation of healthcare in general is to serve. Period. 
And the way that I've always thought about it, I don't care if you are triple board certified in neurosurgery from the top, you know, medical institution in the country, right? King's College to Harvard to MD Anderson, wherever. At the end of the day, you are a high paid waiter. That's it. You're there to serve the folks that are sitting at that table to make sure they have all the health care that they need. And they get up from that table after having that meal, either healing them, helping to reassure them mentally, focusing on helping them, uh, you know, be more productive in their life. And if you think about it that way, you don't let the ego and what I did and my resume and all the rest of that stuff get in your way. So to answer the question, do you need to have service as the foundation of why you want to do healthcare? And then as you learn through experience and obviously the the text and the literature, you will formulate where you want to go. It will speak to you, but you have to have that service foundation first, period. Well, I appreciate how personable that you come across to, you know, this interview was fantastic, but you, you know, when I was doing my research, you know, you're, you're very personable. I think you you are very warm and, and welcoming to your patients and want to be a resource for them. And I think that's, um, we try. that's fantastic. We try. Thank you. We try. Well, thank you for this interview. It's been wonderful. Of course. Definitely. Anytime. <laughs> thank you. Happy to help out anytime. Good luck to you as well. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.